A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. When diplomacy fails, presents. Hello and welcome to When Diplomacy Fails. Hey guys, welcome to When Diplomacy Fails. Welcome to When Diplomacy Fails. Hello and welcome to Hello When Diplomacy Fails. Hello and welcome fails. to When Diplomacy Fails. A project five years in the making. The Franco-Prussian War. The Seven Years War. Of the When Diplomacy Fails special on Napoleon. The Crimean War. To When Diplomacy Fails special on World War One. Dutch Revolt. To the When Diplomacy Fails special on the Thirty Years' War. The July Crisis Anniversary Project. The Swedish Deluges. Britain goes to war. The 1916. To the Franco-Dutch War of 1672. This is When Diplomacy Fails. Remastered. there yet again this is a remastered talk episode roughly five years ago sean and i sat down in the aftermath of the russo japanese war and everything horrendous that those accents represented funnily enough we didn't even talk about those accents and thankfully they are now lost to history well unless you go to the website and check that original file but you're not going to do that instead you're going to listen to this this remastered talk episode which itself retains the charm of the old, because essentially, yes, it is the old. But don't forget, this isn't counted in the overall tally, so I'm still giving you 70 new pieces of content altogether. You're welcome. I love you. We are five years old, and I'm very, very pleased to give you this trip down memory lane. If you haven't listened before, this is the perfect time to do so, because Sean and I actually talk about a few interesting points. So yeah, stop on by and give it a listen. Let me know what you thought through the usual channels, guys. And the next voices you hear will be mine and Sean's. I actually forgot to say that in the last remastered one, but there you go. Mine and Sean's voices will guide you through this period of Russo-Japanese wartime. Enjoy. Back on the podcast, and my guest as always is Sean. Hey, what's up, guys? Yeah, and girls. Yeah, and girls. If, if there are girls, there must be some. There might be one. <laughs> <laughs> there might it's be probably one. your mom. Oh, oh. Yeah. I don't think my mom. <laughs> <laughs> Bringing my mom into this already. <laughs> yeah, <sorry. laughs> 
let's go. Okay. Well, the last time we did this was on the Franco-Prussian War. I mm-hmm. know it's kind of the same era, but I thought we could still add a bit to the story of the Russo-Japanese War by doing one of these talk episodes. Yes. And people seem to download them a good bit too. So. Yeah, I was really surprised that people preferred this to uh, to just you talking. Yeah. And I was like, but I'm just, I literally, I'm, I'm not saying anything specific. I'm just being inquisitive. But uh, yeah, okay. If you guys like that, we'll just keep doing them. Yeah, so I think um, either there's one guy just clicking download somewhere and screwing all you out of this, or you actually enjoy it. Either way, we're going to keep on doing these. But only on eras I'm actually interested in, which is why there was none on the Second Punic War, because I prefer this kind of era. Or the First Punic War. Well, yeah, I mean, I didn't read really <laughs> it. <laughs> we're not going to talk about the First Punic War in this episode. Sorry, guys. <laughs> okay, so did you have any questions to ask uh, first? Okay. What what was up with China? China was really, really bad. Yeah, China was really bad. I mean, what happened? China's bi- China's bigness was actually it's one of its main problems because you had so many people there and they were so disunited. And the problem as well was with the expanding European states. Mm-hmm. They weren't just expanding to the New World in America or to Africa. They were trying to exert their imperium over the Far East as well. I mean... The Dutch is just a good example because they went to the East Indies and that's that is the Pacific but it's not really what we would see obviously it's not China it's Indonesia so it's different but it's the same kind of idea I mean they were trying to set up ports over there for trade but also to try and like make little empires in Asia itself so if you have if you combine those two things of European powers growing and China just being completely ununified you have you have those are those are two key reasons but you also have as well the technological advances of the European powers itself. Well, obviously. Yeah. I mean, oh, we come in with fully trained armed soldiers with ships mm. and cannons and and what is this, peasants? Yeah. Pe- peasants? <laughs> okay. Well, you you answered us now. Yeah. That well, I I basically that's a summary of what happened. <laughs> <laughs> um you basically have a poorly trained, poorly equipped like China it didn't have a dynasty, you know, racking out all of its trade making sure that it had a well trained well equipped army what why why did they drop that why well, is no, that not I, on their cards well no it was but the the dynasty itself like their emperors which they had until the japanese deposed the last one they had for a long time but it wasn't because the country was so big and it was so ununited trying to exert imperial authority over the entire country is not going to be easy even when you have you, you have mm, so much okay. splinter you have so much splinter groups within China itself it's, yeah. its size is the problem really yeah so Japan invades China this this is yes. remarkable um, it's such a big country is it not under did the European countries not see that as encroaching on their turf as, well, as it would be seen Yes, yes, they did. But at the same time, when the Sino-Japanese War happened, they weren't really concerned that Japan would be so victorious so fast. I mean, within the space of about 10 months, Japan basically totally defeated China. And China had no option other than to submit, really. And it submitted so completely. Like, they, the, the Western powers would have known, like all the Western European powers would have known how bad China was. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been able to exploit it so effectively. But at the same time, they didn't think Japan would be able to do so well in uh, exploiting it like they did. That brings us beautifully to the rise of Japanese powers. So yes, how do they get so overpowered? It's a combination of things. It's Western foreign trade. Once the, once the country had been opened up, 
1854 when you had the breaking of Sokoku, which we'll talk about a bit later on. That was a pretty big deal for Japan and the world as well, because Japan would have been viewed as this closed-off country that no one really went. It was like a prison in the middle of the world. Yeah. Because no one could get into it and no one could That's get out of it. A apart from summer. Yeah, as, as, a, as a summer. Apart yeah. from the Dutch. <laughs> apart from the Dutch, yeah. They just always seem to be there. Um, which we'll also, heads in. we'll also go into later on. But I, I don't want to get too much into trade, but trade was a big deal. Another big deal was um, the industrialization of the country. If you, in comparison to China especially... It just seems like all the countries that were industrializing very quickly at the time, like mm. you've got Germany and you've got Japan, both industrializing very quickly and yeah. both, you know, being able to conquer much bigger territories. Exactly, yeah. I mean, that, that is a very important part of it. Like, they were able to increase, because their home islands don't actually have much in the way of natural resources, certainly not to the extent that any other any other country would have enjoyed and they had such a large population putting them to work in factories and extending the industry around the air, around the areas that they did have control over made a huge difference and it wasn't it wasn't overnight but at least in even in just a decade it made a huge difference to Japan like the face of Japan had been changed from a rural like backward country wielding samurai swords to a, a powerful nation powered by the same things that the western countries would be powered by like coal and not oil yet to as much an extent as it would be in World War I, late half of World War One and World War Two, but still certainly more ahead of China in terms of technology. Uh, samurais are cooler, though. I yeah. just, <laughs> that, is, I mean, that is true. That is, yeah. that is the thing. They sacrifice coolness for effect, effective. Yeah, I, as I, a I talked about them being a regional, lo, like a localized Asian power, because in terms of Asian powers, there wasn't really many there. I mean, China was a power... In some senses, be just because it was so big, but Japan was really showing signs of being an independent Asian power, like the likes of which had never really before been seen in the modern in the modern European sense. Anyway, yeah, um, the the invasion of Korea. That's, that's yeah. That I want to uh, yeah touch on that because <laughs> okay. you you sort of just you went like they took over Korea. That's yeah. all fun. What was what was their point for going into Korea? Well, it was did, it like just to make a point that they could expand or was yeah. That, it's a it's a few things really needed stuff. Well, it's a few things really. Korea had a lot of good natural resources. I mean, China had been there before. China was exploiting it for a very long time, and Korea had fought like a series of like really bitter wars against China so that they could proclaim their independence. Now China was losing the war, and then it had signed an, or, an armistice of sorts, which is another completely different story. But once Japan defeated China, China gave, even though China didn't really have effective control over Korea, it gave it. It gave, it basically said China basically said to Japan, "We're not going to look in Korea anymore. You can go there now." And then Japan, because of its modern weapons, was far more successful in doing that. Before World War Two started, you see Japan invading other countries. To get resources, it, it fights wars to get the resources so it can fight more wars. It's like a circular logic, and this is what it was doing in Korea as well. Korea oh, okay. had Korea had a lot of the resources Japan didn't have. So, how long after um, subduing Korea did the war actually start? The Russo-Japanese War, you mean? Yes. Uh, well, that was well. The Sino-Japanese War was eighteen ninety-four to eighteen ninety-five. So it was actually pretty much ten years after. Um, okay. They were able to exploit Korea all that time. Wow. So they were just biding their time. Exactly, just, yeah. But they, it wasn't like the Japanese really wanted war. I mean, as as there was a few f- sources there that said that they didn't want war as much as they wanted to... Japanese really didn't think they could kick Russia out of the places that they were trying to exploit. 
so they weren't looking for war as much as Russia was. As, as soon as the Sino-Japanese War was over, Japan basically had effective control over Korea. And of course, you see, this is one of the major reasons for the war in future, because the Russians are trying to dispute this and trying to take the mineral resources that Japan or, already had in Korea. They're trying to take them back from the Japanese, and Japanese obviously don't want that to happen, so right. they intervene. So how did the how did the Japanese get back confined to their island? I mean, I only ever knew them as the island nation that they are. I, I didn't even know they had colonies on their on the oh yeah Asia. Well, well yeah I mean there's so many small islands around Japan. I mean listen to all the all the islands that the Americans had to take in the Second World War in the Pacific. There were so many of them. Um, that just goes to show you how many little island territories they had. But Korea was really their main one. They were trying to expand further south as well, but there was really so much territory already there that was owned by the Western European states, like Britain and and even like the Dutch France. are an obvious one. France, France, France I mean, didn't own that much. Vietnam, it, yeah, and, Vietnam, and Colombia, was, and yeah. Stuff like that. Well, that was well, Colombia is like South America. Isn't Sorry, it? Yeah. what Cambodia? <laughs> Cambo- yes, Cambodia. Sorry, they're similar. Uh, they are. Uh, similar. I, am, I can be excused for that. <laughs> well, Colombia, Cambodia. Yes. Yeah. Look it up. Type yeah. it out. I mean, I bet they're like two letters difference. They're, they are actually well maybe maybe <laughs> maybe two or maybe three I don't yeah. know it's not really relevant it's, but it's but, it's relevant enough for you to point it out and say that that was actually in South America yes it is but yeah, no it is that's because you made yeah. fun of my mom at the start of this <laughs> okay, <yeah. laughs> um, it didn't lose all its territories until after the second world war where it had to def- retreat to its home islands really yeah oh yeah no it had it for ages oh I thought I thought they only invaded China at the beginning of the second world oh no they did I mean China is a different issue but in terms of Manchuria which is like northeast China and it's really confusing the way they describe Manchuria it's Manchuria was basically China except because the Japanese and everyone else were, were exploiting it so much China had effectively given up on Manchuria Right, so they just left it to be this separate entity. Yeah, exactly, even though it was really China. But that's that's um, that's a different issue, really. In terms of Korea, J- Japan had annexed Korea into its own sphere of influence. That is so cool. Yeah, it basically annexed it so that it was, it was its own state. I can't remember which year that was. It, it might have been 1907 or 1908. It was certainly after the Russo-Japanese War when the whole and issue was Korea. Before the First World War. Yeah, um, because with Japan, once Japan was in the First World War, the reason why it was recognized as such an effective world power I think it was in my opinion um, but it had basically control over Man- all, all, basically all of Manchuria because Russia had abandoned it and definitely Korea was basically an extension of Japan at this stage whose side was uh, Japan on at this point? in World War 1 yeah it shows the allies right okay so a complete flip flop in yeah, the next, exactly. next war okay. completely the same with Italy really yeah um, I mean they did the Japanese get screwed over like the Italians? Well, they thought that they did when it came to handing out the rewards of the war. They were expecting large areas. Oh yeah, of, absolutely. Of Russia, They're, of course. Well, not even just Russia, but in in terms of um, in terms of concessions, like in terms of rewards for joining the war, because it was very much a war that Britain wanted. Britain wanted Japan on the war so that it could uh, it could threaten Germany's um, Asian possessions, and it wanted to do that really badly so that have a war on numerous fronts yeah so Japan was expecting a pretty good reward for doing that since it, since it had expended so much of its resources in fighting the war basically for Britain but Japan wasn't really gifted what it what it thought it deserved so that was one of the leading causes for its for not only its skepticism but it's also the Japanese would really believe at this age that they were the best not just in Asia but in the world well, that's racism as a total other different issue. Really. And then they decide to go again. 
it might have just been that they didn't like the Russians and then the Russians and the Americans were on the same side so they mm-hmm. were like well that makes the Americans our enemies yeah that's true um, which brings us nicely to Americans building them up to the superpower that they are yeah that is that's a very that's a very interesting I'm gonna have to say it you're gonna have to say it I'm gonna have to say it it's an interesting point it's an interesting point what other way can I say it it, (laughs) that's it that's why it's such a good phrase Mm. I think it should be your phrase like it's interesting let's go yeah here we go it's interesting yeah, so America, it was the first one to trade after the Dutch. Yes, um, the Dutch were the Dutch had been there for ages on on the condition that they didn't try to convert the Japanese mm. population, which they did inadvertently. Well, inadvertently, in yeah, but even at the same time, now Japan in Asia has the lowest Christian population of any Asian state even today. So it just goes to show what Sokoku did to Japan in terms of Christian influence. But um the Netherlands during Sokoku certainly the Japanese are trying to learn um, Western ideas and everything from the Dutch, but cautiously, of course, because yeah. they didn't want to abandon yeah. their own ideas. But um, once it, um, it shows a lot of leadership from mm. the the Japanese monarchy, sorry, yeah. shogun, yeah. to realize that he needed to modernize. That's, yes, it does. Impressive. Well, I can't remember his name. I should really have it in front of me. I think it was Tokugawa Ieyasu was the first one. I can't remember. Oh, it was Yoshinobu. No, Yoshinobu was the guy who abdicated. I can't remember the one here. Nakamawa? You know no, that guy ta- from, from Civ Oh, that's just Takagawa. Oh, okay, that's, cool. He, that's the first the Takagawa. First? Oh, yeah, okay. he's Takagawa Ayeshu, probably. Yeah. Um, prob- you can correct us if we're wrong. Yeah, you can correct us if we're wrong, folks. Why did America want to trade with Japan? Well, America wanted to trade with Japan because it saw the benefits of setting up setting up a kind of monopoly of trade with the Japanese even though okay, even though the Dutch were there already even though the Dutch were there already in terms of America rising and becoming more yeah so it's probably still very isolated oh yeah definitely isolated and very small in terms of what it can actually do I mean everyone sees the potential in America but that's all it has at the moment um, it's trying to it's trying to expand its influence and it sees that in trading and if it could make an ally in the process, then go ahead. I mean, the Dutch were there, but the Dutch were viewed as always being there. It yeah, wasn't... It, and everywhere. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it wasn't like everyone just took it for granted that the Dutch were there. It wasn't like, um, oh, they're, the Dutch are there, so we're not there first. It was like, well, we're first. And then someone would say, well, what about the Dutch? And they would say they don't count because they're always there anyway. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the French and the Russians. Yes, the French and the Russians. Um, this is this is the this is the seeds of World War One that I was talking about at the end of the Fran- at the end of the Franco-Prussian War episode, because France had tied itself to Russia when Russia lost really badly in the Russo-Japanese War, France was now left all by itself. Basically, France fully expected to be attacked because it would have been the smart thing to do on behalf of Germany. But they didn't have Bismarck, so no. And not only that, but the Germans and the Austrians were not ready now for war. So this might have spurred them to build a navy. Well, yes, they it spurred them to build a navy. I mean, the Russo-Japanese War can be, like, the results of it can be interpreted in numerous different ways. The Germans knew now that because France was so weak, Britain would do what it always had done and would side with the weaker power on the continent. And to combat this, Germany tried to bully it into not doing that by building an effective navy. But it had the completely opposite yeah, effect. Yeah, that, that would do the opposite. Yeah, effect. which I don't know how they didn't see coming, but they didn't. So <laughs> <laughs> you can blame Von Turpitz for that because it was all his idea. Uh, cool. Did Japan have railroads? Did, were they, like, you said they were modernized, but did, did they do the whole railroads everywhere thing that the, the Germans were doing at the time and the mm-hmm. rest of the... Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. 
That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Powers were doing at the time I'm, as well. I'm not going to lie, I don't know a lot about the railroads. I imagine that they would have, but they certainly wouldn't have to the extent that Germany or other European states would. Okay. Um, they'd probably view railroads with a bit of suspicion because they would have been so used to... Like, changing your mode of transport isn't something you can just do overnight. Um, especially, yeah. it, it, was, it would have been easier for European states because they've been so surrounded by it for so long. I mean... It, another European state sees another European state using a railway thinks it's a good idea so it copies them but in Japan it didn't really have that I mean yeah. it could it could hear of other states doing it in Europe but like why would we do that when we're fine the way we are kind yeah, of thing. and they had a sea completely around their island they just boat everywhere yeah exactly I mean they'd be more focused on the navy than they would be transport within their own nation at the same time I'm sure they did have railroads but they probably didn't have that many yeah yeah so this leaves Britain, who's picked like a second ally. It's got mm. a, it's basically replicated itself, put it on itself on the other side of the world, yes. and called itself Japan. Because mm-hmm. we've got these two little island yeah. nations that have now <laughs> isolated themselves yes, from the continent do. in yeah. the center. Mm. That leaves Britain and Japan really isolated. Yeah, so. it does. But Britain's choice of Japan as an ally was a very tactical choice. I mean, they expected they fully expected Japan to be. They knew Japan was doing well in terms of modernizing and growing and influence and power. And they knew, well, at least they hoped that it would check the growing power of Russia. Britain was actually more expecting to go to war with Russia at this stage than it was to go to war with Germany. A lot of people don't realize that. But at this stage, Russia was really making strides in terms of building navies and trying to exert its influence over... Really, the issue for Britain was when the Ottoman Empire was crumbling around Europe and in the Balkans... Russia was trying to exploit that and Britain didn't like that because it saw that if the Ottoman Empire collapsed then a whole lot of wars were going to happen and Britain would probably didn't want them to happen because they could get dragged into it and because Russia was trying to start these wars and was trying to exert its influence over these wars Britain especially didn't like that so there's a number of reasons why Britain didn't like what Russia was doing and the chance to side with Japan when it couldn't side with anyone else there's reasons why it couldn't side with Germany or France at the, at the time the, the chance to side with Japan might seem like a strange choice because it's so far away but at the same time it's very close to Russia 
So if you can check Russia's expansion, then go ahead. Of course, they didn't know Japan would just completely destroy Russia like it did. Yeah, it worked out really well for yeah. them. Uh, okay, so let's get down to the actual nitty-gritty battle itself. Oh, nitty-gritty. I know. So I listened to it. Really great mind map. Thank the you. picture you actually physically drew and showed me was like even better than my mind map. Thank you. And um... <laughs> the benefits of having me as a friend. Folks. Yes, I know. It's just the best <laughs> thing ever. So, um, this this general for the Russians is just the worst general. I don't know how did he get to the position where he was as such a poor leader. I I think there's only like I'm gonna say it bluntly. General Zaslich was a bit of an idiot. He really was. In ter- even it, he really does give Russian generals a bad name. No, not everyone in Russia was that dumb, and not everyone in Russia was that clueless. Oh, it's really hard to describe and really hard to understand how they could could have been that dumb. But a lot of it comes down to racism and just thinking that the Japanese were better than them. Therefore, yeah. they're not going to do anything that I don't expect. The, the, as far as the <laughs> Russians were, as far as the Russians were concerned, they no matter what the Russians did wrong. The Japanese were incapable of exploiting what they did wrong because the Japanese were inferior. That's what it came down to in a lot of ways. It was racism? Oh yeah, wow. racism racism was a very big deal. And it it totally underwhelms you. Like yeah. mean, uh how did he get to the position where he was in as the general? General Zasilich. Hmm. I honestly don't know, but in terms of um in terms of being a general, he was certainly nobility because all of the generals would have been it like Russia was not a meritocracy that was before the uh, middle class came up well right? there was a middle class now but they didn't have like Russia is just an absolute mess um, in terms of classes and in terms of um, social order I'm not even going to go there because they they had surfed them until like the 1850s <laughs> Like, that just shows how backward they are. That yeah. is really backward. Yeah, I mean, that, like, um, Zasilich's tactics were absolutely horrendous. Was he the son of anyone important? Probably. Like, um, and, and a great general? Well, it's unlikely he was the son of a great general, but he could have just been the son of someone who owned, like, a certain amount of property. Like what, like it was in Prussia, the military was seen as a great way to advance your social standing. But yeah. if you were a crap general, you couldn't really advance very far, but Zasilich oh, yeah. didn't really seem to understand that fact. <laughs> The Battle of the Shima Straits. Yeah. The Battle of the Two Shima Straits. You don't pronounce the T. You don't don't pronounce the S, rather. You don't pronounce the S. The Two two Shima Straits. Two Shima Straits. The Russian Baltic fleet, when they were on the way from the Baltic, obviously, they had Mm -hmm. to sail all the way around, all the way around South Africa and everything to get there. And on the way, they were so immensely paranoid that they were firing on a ridiculous amount of neutral vessels <laughs> including vessels owned by like European powers like British, Britain Germans Britons, Germans Swedes Dutch um, that was like a huge Dutch, mistake definitely oh yeah. my goodness um, the Russians were the, the Russians demonstrated how completely amateurish they were when it came to bringing a fleet all the way around mm. it's indescribable really how immense how immensely inadequate the Russian response was and how unexpected the Japanese response was because the Japanese were not expected to win the war at all. They weren't expected to fight as effectively as they, would, as they did with ships. They hadn't had ships for as long as anyone else had, certainly not the modern ones. So the Russians were overly confident and they were lax in discipline when they were on their way there. And then when they were in Madagascar, they received the news that Port Arthur had fallen, so they were even more demoralized. They didn't move in battle formation, even though they have to go through the Tsushima Straits, which is the sea in between Korea and Japan. And they knew that they'd be in enemy territory. They still didn't travel 
as a, uh, they didn't travel in the way that they should have traveled. They traveled in a long straight line, meaning that only one ship at a time could fire, and that was the ship at the front, which also meant that if that ship got disabled in the sea, then all the other ships would have to maneuver to get around it, which was doubly bad. The same the same idea is if you have a tank out of the front of a formation and it gets knocked out, you have to do that too. If you had that, and then you try to face the Japanese when the Japanese are in their home territory, and the Japanese have scouts moving all around that territory and too. And it's foggy. And it's foggy. They have the Japanese misters everywhere. What's going to happen? I mean, you're not going to be able to shoot the Japanese out. The, ja- the Russians were crazy if they thought the Japanese were just going to wait for them. The Japanese were knew exactly where they were, and the Japanese waited patiently to ambush them, which they did really, like, expertly. Really well. I mean, for they, they have a history of military code, military honour. Mm. They have the art of war guy. Yeah. And they this is just a prime example of just Japanese tactics working for the best. I mean, yeah. They crossed the T basically. Yeah. That's what the naval uh, tactic is called where the, the Japanese ships were facing horizontally. Is that broadside? Yeah, that broadside, broad? yeah. That's broadside, broadside, yeah. That sounds way better. Um, <laughs> they were facing the broadside. The Japanese, all the Japanese battleships could fire all their cannons at once. Well, the, the Russians could fire from one ship and they could fire only a few of their cannons because the, all their cannons couldn't move forward. Were they using uh, the pivoting, self-pivoting uh, turrets at that point? Um, yes and no. They were on some ships, but uh, they were using the heavier guns wouldn't have pivoted at all. So okay. with the Japanese doing that, they would have only been fired from one side of the ships, but that's still far more effective than firing... Um, Russian intelligence must have been very poor at this time. Russian because- intelligence was practically non-existent because... The, they hadn't prepared for some reason they were on their way to Vladivostok which is the only Russian port in the area but they hadn't prepared for being intercepted they got discovered but instead of adapting to the situation which is what they should have done they or, continued on yeah but I mean turn around and go back yeah seemed like a really good idea to or, like the era like it tur- it seems as though the Russians just didn't even consider the fact that the Japanese could discover them. They didn't even send scouting ships ahead. They didn't send any kind Just, of reconnaissance at all. It seems so terrible. Yeah. Um, the, it is, this is where information and espionage becomes important. I mean, yes. obviously it was important beforehand, mm. but this sort of up-to-speed information about movements and tactics and, like, yeah. the, the, the Japanese, like... I we haven't we didn't discuss oh yeah the the French had people on the German side to tell them exactly where the Germans mm. were was this the first time that you know spies were used as well as recon uh, they and... yeah well spies spies in terms of like the Battle of the Yellow River there was a lot of spying used by the Japanese but not really by the Russians at all um mm. obviously there's only so much spying you can do on the seas but even in that way the Japanese made the most of it they did what they could in terms of spying. They used. They would have probably used fishing boats, innocent-looking fishing boats that would have recorded, sent wireless messages back to the Japanese boats. They would have done all they can, all they could, because yeah. this was their home territory. They would have done all they could to try and predict where the Russians were going to move. The Russians had three directions they could have gone, and they chose the most dangerous option. The Japanese would probably been in shock of the fact that they, the Russians, had just shown the worst, chosen the worst option the entire time. Well. If you didn't expect them to come through it, and you didn't have intelligence telling you that they were going to come through it, you'd probably not put all your boats there in case yeah. they came from behind you. Exactly. Like, but, went around the long way and came Well, yeah, but it. don't forget, they didn't go... The Japanese didn't go and attack them, which would have taken longer. 
what they did was they waited for the Russians to come to them, but the Russians didn't know they were going to the Japanese. The Russians didn't know they'd been discovered because the Japanese didn't say, there they are, and then raise the alarm. The Japanese tactically and covertly passed the message along their lines and mobilized their ships to an area where they knew the Russians would have to go. So the Russians couldn't turn back because they just got attacked all at once. I feel sorry for the Russians. It just yeah. it, see, it really didn't go their way. No, it didn't. But um, it, it is partly their own fault, though. So we should recognize the Japanese... Absolutely. Yeah. As First World War style of fighting. I mean, you've got trenches and... Like, tell me about the trenches. Was that the Russians who were using them first? Yes. And then the Japanese set up on the other side of the yes. river with it, their trenches? In the Battle of the Yellow River, um, because, because the Japanese were attacking, the Japanese didn't really have trenches as much. I mean... Even the uh, like, even the idea of using trenches was a new idea. You had the armies were continuously moving, so mm. you didn't have trenches. But the Russians knew they had to defend themselves, even though they defend themselves immensely inadequately. So they used trenches. But it wasn't like let's use trenches for the first ever time. And their their commanders went, yeah, let's use this new idea. It was kind of just a natural development, mm. and it was it wasn't accidental, obviously, because they did use them. But it wasn't something that they thought of and it was like they recognized as a really good idea. Just like the way on the First World War, it wasn't like they didn't expect to be fighting in trenches. They expected to be really fast paced, but it degenerated into trench warfare just like it degenerated here. Okay, so um, the the rest of the European powers were sending observers. Yes. How did, uh, whose side did they send the observers to? Well, in this time they were called military attaches. They were very much... Um, they were tolerated by both sides. Like, there was an understanding at that time that you had to learn as much from wars as you possibly could. And to do that, you had to send you had to send people that represented your country to foreign wars. And now, obviously, the people who are fighting the wars aren't going to... Like, it's basically having paparazzi following you around while you're fighting a war. Yeah. And, like, reporting home. But at the same time, like, you can't really, you can't really blame the opposite countries for trying to learn as much as they can. Yeah. But, I mean, all of these countries, like, I'd say... The Britain probably sent its it sent their attaches to the Japanese, of yes, course, of because course. that's where their stronger allies. Yeah, they would. The French would have sent it to the Russians. Yes. How do you know? Were you, were you there? Well, at the time? I was there. I was there, man. And remember how like how are you alive when you're like hundred years old? I I am a vampire. <laughs> I sparkle in the sunlight. <laughs> Why did you say that? You know I'm going to leave that there. <laughs> you can't take that back. <laughs> it's twilight. I haven't seen it. I've just seen the parodies. Yeah, right. <laughs> There's this one guy in um this is one I'm gonna, not going to mention his name, but this one guy in Sweden really hates these episodes of um, us talking. Yeah, of us talking. Really? He thinks we're really annoying. Um so you know who you are, guy in Sweden. Uh okay, so you put down here that uh the USA didn't support Japan's aims after the war. Yes, if you look at when Japan's public was very unsatisfied with the way the war dissatisfied would you use your proper grammar I know it's I'm really sorry. annoying <laughs> unsatisfied uh, so at this time mm-hmm. America did not support Japan's right. attempts to get tribute from Russia because America didn't want Japan to grow too emboldened with its victory even though Japan had just defeated Russia and quite well I'm not going to say handily but easier than everyone expected it would um, America did not support Japan's moves when Theodore Roosevelt was mediating the peace treaty, Theodore Roosevelt did not support Japan's moves to take the tribute 
that Japan felt it deserved from Russia. This really irked Japan. Like, Japan was not happy with this at all, and the Japanese public was definitely not happy. America was just a pipsqueak at the time, though. So, what? Well, it wasn't really a pipsqueak. Actually, very soon I'm going to be doing an episode on the Spanish-American War in 1899, and America's complete defeat of Spain made it... Made, made was really its entrance onto the world stage, um, capturing a lot of Spain's territories. But certainly, it was still a young power, definitely, but everyone knew that it had the potential to be powerful. I mean, it was one of the most populous states in the world. It had more, it had a larger population than really the vast majority of European states. So certainly, it was recognized as a power, but it wasn't as strong as other European powers or as other world powers would have been, but it certainly had potential. Yeah. What rambling answer that was! It it was it was nice. I appreciate it. So uh, it says conclusion here, but I'd actually like to uh, talk about some of your future podcasts that you're planning on doing. Okay. So uh, you said you're going to do the Americans, obviously. Yes, I'm going to do. Well, uh, yeah, a future episodes. Okay, there's going to be one on the Spanish American War because I really love this era in history. In case you all didn't know, which you do by now because it's been really hammered good, into you constantly. Really good era. Yeah, it is a very good era. And with that, I'm also going to do some other wars around this time. There's a few ones with the Ottoman Empire that'll be interesting to do. Um, what I'm not really wanting to do... Um, a few people have asked me, when are you going to do World War Two? When are you going to do the Napoleonic Wars? When are you going to do the American Civil War? Someone wants me to do the 100 Years War, and the name of that war itself should tell you why I'm not going to do it. Yeah. Or at least why I'm not going to do it, certainly in one episode. Um, Obviously. Yeah. With the longer wars, and... Wars, um, wars such as the um, War of Independence in America and wars such as the American Civil War in America, I'm not going to deny that they're important, but in terms of where my interests lie, I'm going to be honest, they're not necessarily with American wars. But, at the same time, I will be doing them at some stage. Um, I'll certainly be doing a watered-down versions of them, because, as you've noticed so far, the format with this podcast is choosing one main battle within the war and focusing on that, and then focusing on the aftermath. Um, what I'd like to see is the Napoleonic War, but uh, I have a lot of information on mm-hmm. the Irish Legion. Yeah. So, if you did... Every every now and again, this is a warning as much as a, a statement, every now and again I'm going to be covering a big war um, in a f- over a few episodes. So, if I was to Two-parters! Oh, you've gone even, to the dark side! I know, or even three-parters. So many people, actually, I've gotten so many people asking for these. Could you do a three-parter so I don't have to listen to it all in one go? Because sometimes, <laughs> like, at the 30-minute mark, I'm like, I can't listen to this guy anymore. Yeah, He's driving me crazy. I know. He's driving me crazy. But I sound so excited, though. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. I know you're trying. I Because I can hear it in your voice. Yeah, I'm I trying so hard, folks. trying. Like, there are times where you're just, like, a little bit excited and yeah. you go back to reading your script. I know. I don't read a script. I know it off by heart. Yeah, what are you obviously. saying? Okay, back on the podcast. Guys, it has been fun. Oh, it has been a whirlwind adventure of fun. It has. That's an understatement. That was episode 3.5, Talk Russo-Japanese War. Um, I think it went pretty well. Yeah, it went okay. And if there's stuff in there, I hope he keeps it, and I hope he keeps it light and funny at the same time. Because it's, like, this is a discussion. Mm. It's not really... Yeah. We're supposed to be able to make witty observations. Exactly, on. yeah. I mean, if you if if you take away these episodes, then... Then it's just information. And yeah. You can get that from Wikipedia. Exactly. So what are you doing listening to this? Um, if we... If we t- I, I really do, I'm going to be honest. I think this is one of my favourite parts of the podcast, because it's different. 
different. I mean, not every other podcast has this kind of thing where you talk about it. Yeah, where you've got one really smart guy and one really stupid guy and you put them together and then one has all the information, the other one just makes observations. Yeah. It's brilliant. Mm. Um, thank you so much for having me once again. Zachary. It was a pleasure as always. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of nonstop hydration for silky, smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER.